This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 524. And the quote of the day is, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening, everybody? Nick Ruffini here. I'm so happy you're here, and I am really, really excited about this episode. And if you have not already, do me a favor, head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review if you like the podcast. And if you've never been here before, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to, do me a favor, shoot me an email at nick at drummersresource.com and say hello. I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear from you. Love to get to know you. And welcome to the to the Drummers Resource family. So this is this is a special episode for me because uh, the guest is Pooji Bell, and I've been listening to Pooji for a long time. And I let him know uh, in in the beginning of the episode that I'm not exactly sure when I started listening listening to him and actually where I even heard him play. But I think it was the the Erica Badu album that it was a live album that came out in '97. I think that is the first time that I heard him play. I think that's where I found him originally uh, back in the day. And Pooji's an, uh, an interesting guy because he flies under the radar a lot, but he is a prominent jazz drummer and composer and band leader, but he also worked extensively with Marcus Miller and Erica Badu, who I'd already mentioned, Victor Bailey, uh, David Bowie, Stanley Clark, Roberta Flack, Al Jarreau, Shaka Khan, David Sanborn, John Schofield, and Luther Vandross and Vanessa Williams and Victor Wooten and all of these other people. Not only is that super cool, but his dad is a famous jazz pianist and he would have all of these people over his house when he was a kid. So like Ron Carter would be there and Max Roach would be there and Paul Chambers was was his neighbor and lived across the street. So he grew up in this really, really musical family, and we talk about how times have changed, and it's not a negative conversation. It's actually a really good conversation about how things have changed and embracing the things that are changing and planning for your future and and all these other things, and the wisdom he shares is right for anyone, whether you're 10 or 110. doesn't matter where you are in your career path. doesn't matter if you're doing this full-time, part-time. None of that matters. This this wisdom from Puji is right on point. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with my man, Pooji Bell. Pooji Bell, what's happening, my man? I'm here with you right now, <laughs> right now, live, and live, in, live and direct, live and, in, live and living podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to say, man, I, I, I was trying to, so, well, first of all, you probably don't know this, but I've been I've been trying to get you on the podcast for a few years. Uh, Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh snap! And, wow. And I don't know. It happened. I'm right here. I didn't go anywhere. I I don't know. I don't know and if I'm, and I, I'm the nicest guy in the world. I love talking. <laughs> uh, well, I I hear I see that, but uh, no, I don't I don't know. Like I emailed. I emailed you a couple of times and I didn't hear back. I don't know if I had a bad email address or, or whatever, but the point of the story is not to chastise you about not coming on the show. The The point of the story is that I came across your playing probably, man, it had to be 2003 or four, maybe probably even before that, like 
2000. I don't remember where, I don't remember how, but somehow you showed up on my radar and I have been listening ever since. And uh, especially when I was really like, really starting to understand not only, not only groove and pocket, but also like taking the elements of, of straight ahead and all that sort of stuff and implementing it into playing groove and pocket and all that stuff. And your playing really spoke to me. And, and now all these years later, it's an honor to be able to sit down and, and chat with you and pick your brain. Oh man. So that's very kind of you, man. I appreciate you. Sure. Sure. So I appreciate you being here. So, so we're, you and I are both from, uh, from, from Pennsylvania. So maybe that's why we're, uh, maybe that's why your your playing spoke to me but you're from the other side you're from Pittsburgh and i know that I'm you're i know that yeah. you're a sent uh you know a second generation musician but talk to me about like talk to me about growing up in Pittsburgh with you know well, family musicians well actually i don't mean to burst your bubble here but actually i didn't grow up in Pittsburgh oh. so by the time i was wow Five, so somewhere between four and five, my dad moved the family to New York because he was, uh, you know, chasing his dream of uh, being, you know, the, the 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 New York the New York jazz musician. Pooja, you're so, breaking my heart, man. This this changes everything. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, he, uh, my my dad put out um, three records. So it was a, there was a local label called Gateway here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. But he put out a record on, uh, I think it was two records on Atlantic and one record on Columbia. So John Hammond, the famous uh, A&R and producer who signed Billy Holiday, all those people, signed my dad to Columbia. So nice. that record came out. We were still here. But by the time that he got to the Atlantic, um, uh, Mr. Erdogan signed my dad to Atlantic. Can't remember which which Erdogan. Right. But uh, – we had moved, we moved to New York. So from six on to 40 something, I was, I was a New Yorker and I lived on the West side of Manhattan. Gotcha. And that was, when I came back to Pittsburgh, it was like, you know, like school, summer vacation, you could see my grandma and so forth and so on. You know what I mean? Gotcha. And you had mentioned, you had mentioned off air that, you know, the, the New York that you grew up in, is not the New York no. that is now. Like I remember talking to um, to Jason Sutter. I don't I don't know if you're familiar with Jason or not, but he plays with Cher, and he was saying that you know you can't you can't afford to be an artist in New York anymore. No, not not no. I mean, there was a time where cats were like you know you could get a loft space in Harlem for like five six hundred bucks a month. Right, you know, and right. and and that that will never ever ever happen again. Mm-hmm. And even by, at the time that I left, to be honest with you, because I still had I had an apartment in Manhattan, but I had to keep um, at least three pretty good paying gigs in order to maintain a New York City lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know. Um, I mean, for, so for years and years, I worked with Marcus for a long time, and then I had a period in the '90s where I did Shaka and I did Erica Badu. So, mm-hmm. but I had one of those like high, kind of high-profile gigs, and then run out when they weren't working and and do a gig with a smooth jazz guy or a straight-ahead jazz guy, or you know, just to to keep up with, uh, you know, to keep the New York City catch a cab 
lifestyle. Right. You know, and um, it was, you know, it was becoming, it was becoming expensive then. So how the young guys who were there and they're doing it now, God bless them. Yeah. I can't, I can't even, you know, I go to visit every now. Like I was just there a couple of weekends ago. I recorded uh, the great bass player, Ron Carter mm-hmm. on my record. And, how old is Ron uh, these days? Ron just turned. I think he's like eighty-one or eighty-two. I was. That's what I thought. I thought he was pushing eighty, if not eighty, already. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. somewhere in there. But his health is excellent, and uh, uh, and he's still playing his behind off. I've known Ron. My my dad and Ron uh, were really really great friends. So over fifty years of my life. Uh, he's been kind of like a, a stepdad to me. You right. Know? Right. My house, my house in New York, I, I had a, what you would very much call a jazz upbringing. So though my father's career, you know, didn't do what he would have hoped it would have done. Right. Mm-hmm. When, uh, but there were always great musicians in and out of my house. So Paul Chambers, who played with Miles, he lived right, literally right down the street. We, I lived on 93rd between Central Park West and Columbus. And Paul lived on 93rd Street between Columbus and Amsterdam. So Paul was constantly at my house. Um, who else? Uh, Mary Lou Williams, right? Great pianist. We were good friends with my dad. Uh, Archie Shep, Andrew Hill. Um, these are people, Ornette Coleman. These are people who I saw in my living room and got to jam with when I was a kid. I don't know who I was That's playing with. Insane. You know, <laughs> I got to, I got to jam with them. And uh, did you did you realize? sort of what you had at your disposal? Oh, no, hell no. They were just my dad's friends. You know? <laughs> These were just guys who came over with instruments and, and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, smoked a little libation and, and, right. and, 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 and made music. Yeah. You know, and, and, and hung out and had dinner and, and you know. Um, I remember one of my greatest joys was watching Paul Chambers walk down the street with his bass, you know, mm-hmm. and I would imitate him walking down the street as a little <laughs> in the window. Like, I Paul with the big bass, <laughs> you know. But, you know, when I look back on it now, you know, um, I was truly blessed to be around so much great music and so much diverse music in New York at that time. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, in the true sense of, 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 the, of the melting pot, so, you know, I could go around a corner and hear great Latin music at a community center or something, you know, hear great, 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 great Latin players. And then, you know, uh, go up, go uptown to Grant's tomb and see, you know, Dexter Gordon and so forth and so on playing in the park and, and run down to the village Vanguard and see somebody over there. And so, I mean, it was like, there were still clubs. There were still places to go play. Right. Out, and, and it was accessible. I'm get like I didn't. I obviously oh, yeah. I didn't live there at the time. But like now, if you want to go see a show, you know, it's it's a two drink minimum. The drinks are fourteen dollars a piece. It's this. It's that. Oh, it's like it's a hundred and fifty dollars no, a night. It's no. It's you know when I was a kid, you could walk. Look, uh, literally across. I remember some of the R and B gigs I had with people you never heard of. But I could start on on uh, start a night playing uh, at a place called the Cellar. So the Cellar had artists like Melissa Morgan and Kashif and Freddie Jackson and, you know, Johnny Kemp and all those type of R&B people, right? So I could play a set there. And then on the set break, run down the street, right? It was on 94th Street. Run down the street to 96th Street and play a jazz gig with somebody over there. So, you know, 
<laughs> whomever. And and then when that was the set break over there, run back to the cellar to play the second set there. Nice. Right? And and do that. And then at the end of the night, go uptown and and to like a press club or some other club where the first set didn't start till like three in the morning, right? And go play for the hustlers. <laughs> nice. And and play funk and R and B all night up there, you know. And playing for the hustlers was always really cool because if they like what you played, then they come give you like two hundred bucks as a tip, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On top of your gig money. So here, you know, here you are, 16, 17 years old. You're going to school the next day, sleeping through the first two periods, but <laughs> right. McDonald's at lunchtime. Right. You know? And you're probably like I'm sure, you know, everyone's like, what'd you do last night? It's like, oh, I stayed home. I did that. You know, like I, whatever, like played some, some board game or something. You're like, oh, I was hanging out with the hustlers till three o'clock. I, I, I played, I played six sets. Let's go to McDonald's. I got a pocket full of money. Let's go. Right. <laughs> you know? So, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was something to witness. It was something to be a part of. There was so much great music going on in so many different facets of of the city you know so how did your great. how did your parents feel about that to you being out well, of two three five well my my parents you know by the time we got to new york by the time i was eight or or nine or so somewhere in there my parents got divorced okay for whatever reason my mom decided to let me grow up with my dad because my dad was a musician mm-hmm. so he was like all right look man you know as long as you don't get involved in no stupidity right uh you know, there's a gig, go play, man. You know, because he understood that I was getting an education. Yeah. Yep. And there's no better, no better form of ed- education than learning on the job. For sure. Yeah, you I know? mean, all these cats are sitting in their basement playing, you know, and not uh not going out in an experience in the world. Well, you know, it's it's just so different now with the YouTube and, and all this stuff, and you know, it seems like every you know, I, I watch a lot of drummers. Who to play some in incredible stuff? You know, it's like a triple back somersault to a twirl and a three sixty backwards dunk. But then, <laughs> you know, I've seen some of these guys whose names I won't mention. But then I see them play with a band, and there's nothing going on. Yeah, you know. And I think what's what's missing from like from this generation is the fact that it seems like a lot of guys have forgotten that you're actually supposed to use all that stuff to make music with. Right. Th- that's know? that's the point, right? <laughs> like we're here to make music. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why else are you spending all the time to learn all those triple back somersaults? You know, if you're not going to like learn how to make music with them. I thought it was just to impress the other drummers. <laughs> well, that's cool. The only problem with like impressing, and, and you know, I put out my own records. The only problem with impressing musicians is they don't buy records <laughs> they want a free copy or they're going to just you know stream the thing or you know what i mean they, they want the hookup right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're not going to buy your music right but so how so the interesting thing to me is like and i so i come from i'm a little bit younger than you but i feel like i, I still come from like that old school so like i didn't grow up with the internet um, you know, grew up on tapes and vinyl and, and then CDs and all that kind of stuff. So, and knew that like, if I wanted to see music, I either had to go see it live or I had to buy a DVD or buy a, a VHS or something to watch it. Um, so, so to someone now who 
like because part of it is like I think that it's all of this is second nature to you because you grew up with it, you've been around it since you were born. But for someone who's who's either coming up now or they're seeing they're being influenced by all these people doing double black flips on YouTube and there's all this information out there, like how do you suggest that people sort of separate the real from the fake and and separate the good from the bad and and really if they're interested in in sort of learning the way that I'm guessing you and I learned to play music. Uh, how do you, how do you suggest they go down that path? Well, I always tell young guys that the first thing, and it's really hard, but you know, don't, don't, don't watch YouTube. Just don't watch, use your ears, you know, use your, your, your ears will, will open up your mind's eye and will mm-hmm. open up, your imagination. So if I heard Tony Williams, Billy Cobham, Steve Gadd play something on a record, right? I had to do the best that I could to imagine how he did that. You know, was it, you know, there was, you know, my mind, my mind's eye became my God, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now, Consequently, if you use your imagination and use your mind's eye, what's going to happen is that you're going to come up with your own unique way of doing something. You're going to come up and create your own sound, Mm -hmm. your own sound palette, because you use your imagination. So I tell young guys this all the time, and they look at me like, you know, you old fool. (laughs) I I tell them, look, man, you know, Use your imagination. You know, one time, and 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 I had I had a similar type of thing happen to me. Elvin Jones, <laughs> and this is a true story. He's playing at the Vanguard, and I went, oh, Mr. Jones. You know, man, your timing is so good. How do you play such good time? He says, real simple. Listen to your heartbeat. And I went, what? Yeah, and I didn't say what to Elvin Jones like that, of course. Right, but right. my mom was like. Why is he messing with me? Listen to my heartbeat. That's some bull crap. You can't, right? And I'm just like in my mind, you know, young, ignorant mind. I'm like, no, no, that boy has to be something else. He just don't want to share. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay, but then I go home and I went, okay, well, it's Alvin Jones. He said, listen to your heartbeat. So I start practicing one day and I start to focus in on the rhythm of my heart, as bizarre as it sounds. And I'm playing, and then something snapped, and a groove started to happen. And and literally, my eyes got as big as saucers. And I said, oh, my God, it's the truth. He was right. You know what I mean? And because right. I, definitely, I definitely felt something. I felt a whole different kind of way while I was playing. So us old guys know something. You know, <laughs> so if you want to have an original sound, Stop watching all those tutorials, you know, figure out your own way. Right. You, know, you can always default if necessary back to the tutorial. It's always interesting too, when you, when you learn, I mean, I know this happened to me. I don't know if it happened to you, but like I would learn something to the best of my ability or what I thought the person was playing or whatever. And then you like see them play it on YouTube now or something like that. And you're like, Oh man, I had that totally wrong. But, yeah. it, but but you like but I'm playing this thing wrong the whole entire time but then it like develops your like it turned into like my bastardized version of that thing and then 
and then created all this other stuff around it, you know? Exactly. And that's what you want because, you know, we already have, you know, we already have Chris Dave. We already have Steve Gabb. We already have, we already have all these great drummers, right? It's pointless trying to become the best imitation of those guys because you're always just going to be an imitation of that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, if you say certain names of, of, of guys, you hear a sound in your head. The reason why you hear a sound in your head is because <laughs> the guy's a genuine article. He's the real thing. This is what he does. Mm-hmm. You know? But so many people now just seem like if they are able to cop and copy that's just as good as being the real thing. And it, it never will be. Right. You know, you can get a car that looks like a Lamborghini, but it's another thing to actually drive a Lamborghini. <laughs> right. Right? Yep. Yep. You know, you could, you could date a woman with fake bosoms, but it's another thing to date a woman who has real bosoms. You know, so, I mean, it, it applies itself to, to literally everything. Mm-hmm. You know, who would want to be a copy? But it just seems like nowadays, that's like, acceptable and it's okay in my day if i showed up to the gig playing exactly like somebody nobody would have given me any respect right yeah you know now showed up at the gig and you play kind of sort of like somebody but you put your own twist on it or the people could clearly hear your influence they go oh that young guy he's going to be something someday you know Mm -hmm. he's he's working it out is what they would say back then right so how How, uh, I mean, how do you, I'm just curious, like how, how do you think it's going to end up? Because to me, it seems like it's just a, it's like a race to the fastest. You know? uh, like now everyone's just like, I'm just, I'm just trying to be fast. Like I, I get emails about it every single day and people are like, how do I increase my chops? How do I increase my speed? How do I increase my chops? How do I increase my speed? And I'm like, for, for what? You know? Well, you know, the, the, the competitiveness thing, um, I guess on some level, every every musician naturally, you know, they, they ha- have some of that. Mm-hmm. But it's when you, you know, you have, we have TV shows like American Idol and The Voice and all these other kind of things that have taken music and, and art and have turned it into literally a sports competition. So it's not surprising to me that you have, you know, young generations of people who grow up watching that kind of stuff. And then that becomes a, their value system mm-hmm. now, as opposed to playing music, being musical, understanding what music is like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the gospel guys who, who I love, but a lot of them remind or are a product of that. So, play everything straight line up and down hard as humanly possible very 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 little use of any dynamics is either whisper stuff or you know as loud as humanly possible and the same thing same thing can be said about rock drummers now Mm -hmm. you know there's no no the dynamic range of a of a god bless him of a ginger baker and those kind of guys that all that stuff is gone now right and um i guess the only thing that we can hope for is that the, you know, that, you know, there are some young people who get it and, you know, we can hope that one of those young people who does get it 
becomes popular, at least popular enough that another young person will look at him and say, well, yeah, I see all the back somersaults, but what this guy's doing is pretty cool. Right. You know, I, I want to try to cop some of what this guy's got. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think that's the only thing we could hope for. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I don't know. I think eventually on the, on the other side of that very sharp sword, we're just going to have just so many guys who are going to are turning themselves into one big interchangeable part and a management company's dream. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you think if you got 10 guys who all play exactly the same, all tune their drums to say, to have the same cymbal palette. Well, the manager is just simply going to say, I'm going to pick the guy who's going to work for the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. It's the manager's job is to save the artist as much money as possible. So artists can make a lot of money and feel good about the manager so they can make more money. Right. So, you know, the argument is too. Like, I mean, not maybe not the argument, but the thought is, well, if a drummer wants to get a gig playing in some sort of like modern pop thing, like, isn't that sort of what's required for the job now, right? To be a little more sterile. They don't want it to move around the click. They don't want it like, I mean, they want everything snapped to the grid. They want everything straight up and down. They want everything like they don't want a ton of like bounce. They don't want a ton of swing. They don't want, you know, any of that in there. Um well, look, you're talking to a person. So when the, the whole, when the drum machines thing started to happen in the 80s, the, the, the majority of the people, uh, they just got pissed off, right? Right. I, on the other hand, was like, all right, well, if this is what's going on, I want to stay current. So I got a drum machine. I learned how to program it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had all the early drum machines. I had Simmons drums and, you know, understood about sampling and all that, and, you know, the early versions of triggers with the S1000s, I did all that. So right. I can I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you you, you want to be current, you want to be able to get the gig, so forth and so on. But when you go home and you're not at work, what do you want your legacy to be? And what are you going to do to create one for yourself? Because mm-hmm. if you're just an interchangeable part, you're, you're not going to create a legacy for yourself. No one's going to remember you. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, are you are you planning to like to move on to songwriting or production, or are you planning to make your your own record? You know, I, when I was at, I went to the NAMM show last year, and um, I ran into uh, you know some of some of the guys that I have a lot of respect for, um, uh, Aaron Spears and a couple of other guys uh, whose name escaped me because I have gray hair, but. Um, <laughs> And I said to them, I said, look, man, you know, you guys all play your asses off, but you, you're going to have to do something to create a legacy for yourself. You mm-hmm. know, you, you know, I said, you need to start making your own records. Yeah. This is the only way that this thing can continue to push forward. Right. And everybody just looked at me like like a, a dog that heard a funny sound, you know, when they turn their head to the side. Right. And I said, no, come on. I'm serious. You, you have to do this. Now, the thing that's interesting is that the, the generation of drummers that are like maybe one behind me in their 40s somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the Chris Daves and the Gene Lakes and, and those kind of guys, they all make records. Right. But the guys that are behind them, none of them make records. Right? Why, do you th- why do you think that is? Because it's the same thing. Instead of making records, they think they're, they're, they're making a legacy for themselves 
by po- posting videos on Instagram. Mm. You know, and in a certain sense, maybe they are right They're, They have made a digital imprint of who they are. What happens when Instagram goes away? Well, but that, exactly. What about all those MySpace stars that are out there? Hello. You know, you get what I'm saying? So, but something that is archivable as records have been as, and we see as vinyl is coming back in as, with the swiftness, um, that's creating a legacy for yourself. There are always going to be people able to listen to Max Roach and Art Blakey. Why? Because they made records, right? And people don't understand that the word record literally means that a record it's recorded. It's a part of history. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, you know what I mean? Yep. So you don't be, you know, so being current and being a pop star and having a gig with, with whoever you're, you're, you know, uh, you're who, you know, that, that whole, that whole world. And I've been in that world. I understand it. You know what I mean? And it pays good bread. I, you know, you want the endorsements. You want, you know, you want all that. I got it. But you have to do something because eventually that's going to, that there's always a new young guy coming. Right. You know, and that's going to wear itself out at a certain point. Those gigs aren't going to become available to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, plus, so you, like, maybe you just, you know, like what happens when, what happens in if 10 years you don't want to play with Ariana Grande anymore or whatever and you have you don't have a repertoire or you know you don't have and I'm not it, I'm just saying Ariana Grande cuz you had mentioned Aaron but it, it could be anyone it could be anyone exactly right. uh, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at yeah what do you what do you do if my whole reality and life was based upon the years I played with Erica or the years I played with Marcus or the years I played with Freddie Jackson or Keith Sweat or any of those 90s people or Shaka Khan or any of that stuff, I'm not doing that anymore. So mm-hmm. you dig what I'm saying? So right. you, you have to have, you, you, you got to have a, a, a larger goal than just being working with the pop icon. Right. Even though that's really cool. Right, right, right. So it is good to get a big gig with a pop star, right? Like, oh, yeah, and- it's awesome. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's great to play, and you know, I mean, I played in every big arena and baseball stadiums, and you know, those big pop shows in in London, and you know, it's awesome to look out and see a sea of heads. That's mm-hmm. you know, going out on stage on Madison Square Garden in New York City this year, and ah, that's like mind boggling. You know what I mean? But the 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 stock reality of that is is that at a certain point, it's going to end. Yeah, it is. It's going as as it started. It will end, and you have to be prepared uh, mentally for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like like the like the uh, you know like the guy who's in his late forties or early fifties who refuses to settle down. He's still going to the bar trying to pick up college chicks. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's not it's not a good look. The guys who are trying to still you know be the heavy metal star or the blah, 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 blah. You know, if you had your moment, you had your moment and you you have to be able to move on. But Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of guys think like that. Well, they're too young to think like that. Right. You know, this is really interesting um, because I, everything that you're saying, I believe, and I, I preach a lot on the podcast. I'd love to hear your take on how do you suggest that people, uh, maybe they're not in a position that they are, they're going to go on tour with, you know, a big pop star or something like that. Or maybe they were, they used to be able to do that stuff, but, but now they can't do it anymore or whatever the case may be. How do you, 
how do you build a career now as a drummer, you know, or how do you now, I know that you have a, you have a long history, so you have, you have a lot of, uh, you, you know, you have a long resume, but for someone, for someone who's like, you know, been playing for 20 years, they've been sort of like kicking around and all that. Like, how do you, how do you build a, at least a, at least a thriving, even if it's a part-time career, like what, what's your take on that? Because the clubs are closing the, you know, less people are paying for money, et cetera, et cetera. You have to you have to decide what it is that you want to do with it with your career in the music business. And it's corny. I mean, as cliche and as corny as that sounds, and as simplistic as it sounds, you have to decide what do you want to do if you're going to be a weekend warrior. Okay, cool. So, are you going to try to find a corporate gig with a, like a corporate wedding band or some kind of corporate band? That, like you know, you can go out on a weekend and maybe make you know twelve hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, uh, do you not want to go on a road? All right. Well, you know, how good are your computer skills? You know, you, you know, you know, do sessions online, you know what I mean? And, you know, record tracks for people, you know, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different ways now because of the internet, because of the technology to, to, to have a career. I mean, like what you're doing with this podcast, what you're doing with your, with your website, mm-hmm. you know, the, the drumio people. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things that you can you can you can do. You just have to d- decide what it is you want to be. You know, when I would go on the road, I would ask everybody like, what it is that they do. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm in the studio, you know, as an example, with with you know great producers, and I'd watch them do something. I'd go, well, hey man, why did you do that? You know, right. don't be afraid, don't be, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think a lot of times people think, oh, I'm going to come off like I'm professional or I'm stupid or something. No, but it's the only way you learn, mm-hmm. you know, yep. um, uh, people who worked at record companies who did A&R or were vice president of this or blah, or did distribution. I picked their brain. Yeah. So and there's so many people who are in the record industry that you talk to them and they're like, oh, I mean, I was just talking to a guy yesterday. He was like, oh yeah, I was in this band. And like they, they were a big band and toured all over the country, you know? And now, now he's like the president of the label because that band stopped. Well, that band stopped, but he knew that he couldn't stop. And he probably did the same thing I did. He probably asked questions. He probably was curious. How does this work? How does that work? You know, you you have to be, to know the business that you're in. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different facets of it. Playing is just a small part of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would just, I always would pick people's brains. I would ask engineers, well, why are you using that reverb? You know, how come you put the microphone over my hi-hat this way? You know, and after a while, you just start to build up, you, you know, your own, your own toolbox of stuff. Right. You know, so, so, you know, at this point, yeah. So, I mean, I own my own recording studio here in Pittsburgh. I have a studio here in my house. I'm about to put out my eighth solo record. I have, you know, publishing company. Um, you know, I have sub publishing deals with European companies. Um, but all of these different things um, happen from me asking questions and investigating mm-hmm. and knowing that eventually you know, the pop gig was going to end. Right. You know? Yep. And it's easy to, and well, let me rewind a little bit. The, and the reason why I pose that question that way is I'm, I'm a guy who looks at the, 
the positive. I never look at the negative. So uh, I, where everyone else is like ho-hum about how the industry is, I see it as opportunity. And, and especially like you said, with the internet, like one, you can find out everything that you need to know about the, in, about the music industry by going online, yeah. right? You can connect yeah. with people. You can email people. You can grow a social media following. You can get, you know, yeah. you can drum up business for, no pun intended, you can drum up business for your studio or for your your web yeah. design service that works only with bands or whatever it is. Like, there's yeah. so much opportunity out there uh, with the advent of the, in- the internet, or you can take the easy way out and sit at home and complain about it. Yeah, I don't never. I just don't get those guys. I Me just neither. for the life of I just don't. You know, there's something that you could be doing, and you, you're you wasting valuable time that you can't get back, and being uh, mad at something that no one cares if you're mad at it. Right. It, it doesn't yeah. make a difference. Well, I mean, it's like you know, back back in the day, you know, it was like oh, I hate that damn drum machine. It's so stiff and this that and the other. And I was like, yeah, but people have been dancing to these things now for quite a while. So I'm going to learn to play a groove that's kind of drum machine-like, and I'm also going to buy a drum machine and learn how to program it because this is a gig. Right. You know, yep. it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to get mad at at what's going on uh, currently. You know, I mean, like, look, my new record, just as an example. You, you know, I make my records live for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. But this past summer. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to come. I taught like a music business one-on-one class at this uh, y, at a YMCA in uh, in a and shall we say for no you know kind of kind kind of uh, and I always want to call it call it the hood. Okay, okay, so let's we'll call it the hood. But I went there. Okay. <laughs> it was a, a good no, but a good friend of mine got the Heinz endowment to give him like a million dollars. He built built this amazing studio. Nice. And, and it's in and it's in a YMCA and it's called the Lighthouse uh, Project. So anyway, I went there this summer and uh, working with these kids and watching them put these hip hop beats together, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, literally taking like you know one little MIDI note and turning it into like this whole big collage of sound. And then while I was there, I got hep to and it's been around for a while. I hope that I'm about to sound like an old guy, but I got hep to this thing called Splice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And I'm watching the kids take the bits and pieces of samples and turn them into to things. And I'm like, well, that's really kind of cool. So I said to myself, all right, well, I want to do that. <laughs> so I went and I got this, you know, signed up for Splice. And so my whole this whole new record that I'm working on, now it's not a hip hop record, but I said to myself, how can I do this? my way how can i do this and turn this into like funky jazz music the kind of stuff that i like Mm -hmm. right and i have made a whole record for the most part utilizing this thing as a songwriting tool and i think it's at least to me i really really like the results in what i'm getting you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. like made the framework with the splice stuff some of the stuff I have replaced with humans and the rest, some of the other stuff I've just left, left it as it was, but it's turned into this really, really very cool collage of stuff. That's you know awesome. what I mean? So, yeah. So, you know, again, and you know, my next birthday, man, I think I'll be 59. I think I'm 58. I'll be 59. So here I am, a 58 year old using 21st century technology to create with, 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And 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 it's and it's awesome. You yep. know, it's really it really is. It really is. I mean, <laughs> if you look back in the day, like when people were like bottom heads on drums. I'm not doing that stuff, you know? <laughs> right. 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 Bottom heads on drums. I'm not doing that. It makes them too hard to carry to the gig. Yeah. <laughs> Take that bottom head off. You can put everything in your bass drum. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that's what we used to do. We used to do that and put everything in the bass drum and then had a dolly and would drag the dolly around to band rehearsal. Of course. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Like those, uh, what are those like Russian dolls that you know what I'm talking about? The, uh, oh, right, right, right. You pull one, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like nesting dolls or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it makes sense. Hey, do yourself a favor and check out Promark's Select Bounce drumsticks. These sticks give players the ability to fine tune their standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, check out the forward balance. These are front weighted and give you enhanced power and speed. If you are playing jazz or funk or gospel, then check out the rebound balance. These are rear weighted and gives you more finesse and more agility. Plus, they're made by Promark, which you know you're gonna get a quality product because they control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. Plus, they're paired by pitch and by weight, so there's zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your stick bag. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to promark.com. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models, and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like. Or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, all of that stuff. And you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator and i mean i love the you know i love the 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 look on always always looking at the positive always trying to figure out where there's where there's some white space here like how can i how can i figure out something that, that works for me and 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 my career uh, and I dig that. And, but I, all, but I know that like through your career, there's been, you know, there had to have been ruts or, or, or sort of like failures or, or things that you had to, to overcome. Is there particular things that you can think of that really, that were sort of like a part of, a part of failure or, or a rut that you got into that you had to get out of that, that you can share some wisdom on that? Um, I, I would say in general that, that the music industry, uh, no matter what facet you're in, is definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, uh, there, I think there are a lot of people who are living their life like it's a Disney mu- movie and someone's going to come to discover you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also might hit the lottery for $500 million next week. <laughs> um, I, would, I would just say, you know, that 
ups and downs that uh, are are just uh, just a, a part of just like in life. It's just part of it's just a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've had you know you know days on a stage that I thought I wish would never end, and then I've had days where I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to get out of here because. This, you know, the reality is okay. Put it to you this way: I remember, you know, doing this huge tour with Shaka Khan, right? When ain't nobody was a was a was a hit. It was still new. Mm-hmm. Right? And it came home to very, very, very little work. There was just nothing available. I was young and stupid, hadn't really saved my money, right? Some, like you know, I was like twenty, twenty something. And uh, anyway, I got called. <laughs> I got called by this uh, this really bad Broadway kind of singer person who was about to do a showcase. So I get to the thing, and all these great musicians are at the showcase, right? And this guy is, it's a foggy day in London town. I mean, he was just like more corny than or- Orville Reckenbacher popcorn popping. I mean, he was it was awful, but, you know. <laughs> There was a great bass player by the name of T.M. Stevens. Uh, uh, all these great musicians on this gig. So, you know, we finally had a break. And, you know, everybody's just kind of like down. You know, their heads are down. But we, we all needed the bread. We all needed the gig. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And I remember saying to myself, man, you know, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was on stage with Shaka Khan. We were playing in the blah, blah, blah. And this is sucks. And, you know, I'm lamenting and somebody else says something. Yeah, this sucks. And then TM, God bless him. TM Steven says, well, man, how do you think I feel? Last week I was in the studio with Miles Davis. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just the harsh, stark reality of being a musician. One day you're going to be on the top of the mountain. The next day you could be playing a foggy day in London town with a person who can't sing in tune. And you you have to be able to find balance with, mm-hmm. within when, within the whole thing. So you can never get too happy. You can never get too sad. You know. Yeah. So you have to believe. You have to have faith. So excuse me. So regardless of where your religion is or where your religion isn't, you have to believe that things are going to work themselves out. You know, one one of the things I've always said, well, it's a tough time right now. And I, you know, I talk to God. It's a tough time right now, God. But, you know, I know you didn't give me the ability to play the drums and to make music for me not to do it. So I'll just be patient and I'll wait. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But yep. you got to have faith. You know what I mean? You have to have faith that everything is going to be, uh, uh, is going to be, is going to be okay. You know? Did it take you, tough. did it take you a while to build up that confidence? Uh, yeah, honestly, I guess that I've had enough, I've had more good than bad. So when you have more good than bad, you just kind of think that the bad was just a strange anomaly. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the good is going to come back and it'll be better than the last good was. Sure. And, and um... And it never ceased to amaze me. Just when I thought, you know, I was going to be on Dire Straits Street, you know, the phone would ring or someone would say, hey, man, so-and-so, so-and-so. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, 
and then you know you, you go back you go back in the swing of things and 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 it feels like normal again right you know right but it's i you know i think the hardest part now if there is a very a hard part to be honest it would be you know g- growing older not allowing your ears to grow old and trying to stay relevant in a world where young people are constantly telling you that you're not relevant. Right. You know what I mean? So that part, uh, and I'm getting a little personal there, but that's what we're here for. That, that part, that part is, 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 is real. Mm -hmm. That part is real. And, And so what, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you internalize that and, and make sure that it's not affecting you know, your day to day, you just keep doing what you um, like, keep doing what you've always done. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like just continuing to, to be true to, I, to yourself. I, I pick and choose now. Mm-hmm. Right? How so? Well, I fear, I fear, I think that I'm old enough now to, to, uh, to, to pick and choose whom and where I play, mm-hmm. you know? So, I very rarely ever play around Pittsburgh, ever. You know what I mean? Um, And not because I think that I'm better than everybody or anything like that. I I rarely play because it doesn't, uh, it's it's not going to, well, they're still paying the same amount of money here that I made when I was in high school in New York. Right. Right. So the, the amount of money they pay, I could go to the bank and take out the money and give it to them and play for free. (laughs) <laughs> right. So you really can't you can't make any money. And then a lot of times you're around musicians who are upset and mad and about the club doesn't pay me this and the blah, 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 blah. But then they turn around and they go right back and they play at the same place that they complained about. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that 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 gerbil will, uh, you know, it's it's hard for me to be around uh, that kind of negative uh, vibe like you. I try to find the light, I try to find a positive within the situation that I find myself in. Right. I mean, and like, as, as if I were playing music, I try to find the thing that the music's missing to play that thing so that the music will be better. Mm -hmm. But now I kind of just pick and choose what it is that I want to do and, and focus on things that bring me happiness, that bring me joy. Yeah. You know, and you know, songwriting and production, and being a studio owner, and being an artist, and having a booking agent, and you know, traveling. You know, even though I don't travel as much as I used to, but the gigs that I go do, I'm playing with people that I care about, who I enjoy playing with. Uh, like like the gig I'm about to go do in uh, Bratislava and uh, uh, Slovakia and Vienna. It's the same guys. I do this gig every year around this time because I enjoy being with those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes I do it as my band. Sometimes I do it as their band. You know what I mean? Um, uh, December, I'm going to go to Israel for a hot minute. But the same thing, I'm going to go play with people I like. Right. You know? So I think that's that's how I, I deal with it. I just I pick and choose and do things that make me feel that are fulfilling to me yeah you know yeah yeah i'm not i'm I'm not i'm not running around you know with my head like you know like a chicken with his head cut off 
Oh, I gotta go do this. I gotta do this. Everybody else is doing that. I gotta get a part of this. I gotta do that. I gotta run over here. No, uh, uh-uh. you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's young. You know, like New York City is a young man's sport. You know, I respect that game, but I don't. I'm not in that game no more. Right. You know? I respect yep. the game though, but I'm not in that game. Mm-hmm. No? It's a it's a hustle for sure. Well, you know, it dawned on me once I left New York. I went, hey, wait a minute. You know, whatever name I have, I have, and they have an airport in Pittsburgh. That's all I really need is an airplane. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, can, I can still work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everybody thought I was crazy when I left New York. What do you mean you're leaving? You can't leave. <laughs> yeah. What are you, you going to do? <laughs> Not cart my gear to the gig right. on the subway. Right. Not pay SIR a few hundred bucks a month to store my stuff. Right. Exactly. They have, to, they have to give Artie Smith money to go pick up my drums and move them over here because I can't set them up in plaque packages in my apartment. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. The amount of money I spent on Cartage, <laughs> I could have bought a small island. I could be like Richard Branson. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Ridiculous when I think about it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You know? Yep. I get Even it. I still do have a locker, but it's in Europe now, but it doesn't cost me as much. Well, that's good. Yeah. Got to keep your gear somewhere at least, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's cheaper. When you're on tour over there, it makes it so much easier just to, you know, I'm with Ludwig now, but it's just so much easier to have one kit that's going to do the same thing. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, what did David Garbali call it? He said, Oh, Poojie, what are you doing? Are you playing drums du jour? <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, that's messed up. He said, yeah, that's what it is, isn't it? It's like, yeah. <laughs> yep. would you like an appetizer, sir? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> drums du <de> jour. <laughs> missing heads and missing. Oh, man. It's like, oh, this is so, nobody cares about the drums at the club or. I played a drum set one time in the Caribbean. It was just rust. <laughs> I sat outside, you know what I mean? On some like patio kind of like outdoor stage and they never took it inside. It was just like <laughs> one big rust bucket. I was like, really? <laughs> oh, here's the drums. We, we have drums. Can you play these? I went, yeah, sure. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh man. So if, um, so where can people figure out what you got going on? How can they follow you? Are you on social? Check out your website. Where's the best place to follow you? Um, I guess probably cause I'm, you know, I'm old. So I mean, I have Facebook and I have an Instagram. I don't tweet even though, you know, my manager and everybody wants me to tweet, but I'm like, I don't, it feels strange. You have to tweet at someone. I was like, I don't want to tweet at anyone. It doesn't, I'm a grown man. It doesn't even sound right to tweet at someone. So <laughs> you don't have to necessarily do it at someone. You can just put it out there. No, you know, uh, this great young saxophone player in New York named Lakeisha Benjamin. She said, you know, with Twitter, you're supposed to tweet at somebody, Pooji. I said, you're supposed to tweet at someone like so-and-so at so-and-so. She said, yeah. No, I'm not doing that. It's just like, I'm not. That's not me. (laughs) So, yeah, but you follow me on those things. And uh, 
And that's where you'll find all of, you know, where I'm, where I'm gigging. And I have a Poogee Bell band page and all that stuff that my manager, uh, my manager actually operates. I, I haven't actually been on that. And this is on a podcast. Of course, no one heard me say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, but you can find me in those places and, you know, look, well, you know, and you can find my records on, uh, you know, all that digital streaming, Spotify and all that stuff, you know, I dig it. Yeah. And, uh, and I want to one thank you for coming on, and two uh, inspiring me all these years. Whether you knew it or not, you're you're playing. Like I said, has has spoken to me for many years, and I I pulled a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I stole a lot of your stuff. So um, God bless you. I'm happy it's been serving you well. And you know what? I think I realized uh, where the first time I heard you. I think it was it was on the live Erica Badu album. And yeah, that record follows me around. I can't lose that record. Man, it's a, you played your ass on that uh, ass off on that record. And that uh, the peach tree song or apple tree song. Uh, apple, right, right. You did this uh, like we said we weren't going to get technical, but I'll just mention this. You, it was just like you were playing these rim shots that I sound. I was like, these are the best sounding rim shots I ever heard. Uh, or like cross sticks you were playing and you did a cross stick and like a choke hi-hat thing and i was like "Ooh!" i was like i'm gonna steal that and i still do that shit all the time in my playing all the time awesome, <laughs> awesome. i was like I, I was like i'm talking about i was like 17 and i was like i'm gonna i'm taking this <laughs> there you go that's how you do it i was like he'll never know but now you know hey look it's like Stravinsky said, great musicians don't borrow, they steal. That's <laughs> right. what I'm talking about. That's the, the real stuff right there. Right. <laughs> you know? So, yep. Yeah, so uh, so thank you for that. But but seriously, thank you for uh, for coming on. I appreciate it. And, uh, and it's been an honor and a pleasure, my man. Oh, man. Thank you, Nick. Of course. Look, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Safe travels. All right, baby. There you have it, the one and only Poogee Bell, and you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 524. And if you head over to drummersresource.com, you can get a copy of my ebook, which is called Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises that you can use with the book Stick Control, and it'll help you improve your chops, your speed, your independence, all that fun stuff. Check it out. Just go to drummersresource.com, sign up for the mailing list. You'll get that for free. And also, if you dig the show, leave it, a, leave a rating and a review. You can do that on iTunes, and it takes about a minute, and that helps it show up higher in the search results and lets people know, hey, you should be checking out Drummer's Resource because they have 520-some episodes with the greatest drummers in the world, and that's all I got. So, again, if this is your first time listening, thanks so much for being here. If you've been here for a while or if you've listened to five episodes, one episode, 105 episodes, all 520-some, thank you. I appreciate it, and I would not be able to do this podcast without you listening. So thanks so much for being here. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.